is Audrey, and you are listening to Miles of Murder, the true crime podcast brought to you from the road. This week's episode has been researched all over Oregon as we traveled around and is being recorded in Portland itself. This episode was originally set to be a mini-episode, yet after I wrapped up the recording, something just felt off. I went on the road for a couple weeks, and I wandered before I decided to upload it today. We're getting ready to head out again for a few weeks on the road, and I wanted to make sure to get this out there in the event that I don't have service. I'll share some beautiful Oregon and Bloom shots from around the area that I've taken over the last few weeks. I'm truly enjoying seeing real seasons for a change and watching everything come to life with all of the color that Oregon has to offer. Speaking of, make sure you check out my Instagram at Miles of Murder, where you'll be able to view case images pertaining to today's episode as well as broadcast location. Please refer to my show notes from this episode for content warnings and source information. Today's episode covers the cold case of 23-year-old David Grubbs. As a full-time nomad and what I like to refer to myself as a forever wanderer, I've seen small towns. Not only that, but I've sought them. There is something to be said for large, bustling cities with a saturation of amenities and luxuries. But in small towns, I find a piece that just hits differently. Yet there hasn't been a small town I visited that touched my heart like Ashland, Oregon. It surprised me with its charm and its resources. Packed full of unique eateries, quaint markets, adorable shops, and wonderful artistry. And the people, gentle and vibrant. I feel as if those two words truly embody Ashland folks. Eager to share warmth and kindness. Ashland feels a lot like Southern charm, but with a progressive edge and an inclusive pitch. And the walkability. Much like every space we visit, we test out the walkability. We prefer to wander aimlessly in oogalette lawns and architecture as we sip coffee, tote our found treasures, and meander to bakeries. And Ashland, well, it delivered. And one day we walked to Case Coffee, then to Vita Bakery, to Lithia Park where we watched a woman playing the harp while children explored the river. Then we oohed and awed at the local artisan's market vendors, had a beautiful tea time at Dobra, sushi at Umami, and ice cream at Zoe's. Along the way, interacting with locals of all sorts and truly feeling the pulse of the town. It's these slow visits, as we call them, that really allow us to steep in the communities that we visit. We prefer it over pop-ins and hitting local attractions, only yet also understand its rarity. We don't always have time or the ability to slow down in the towns that we visit. Often we're driving through to the next place stopping in for mechanical work, or just needing a place to rest for the night. Typically, initial feelings form and they change as you spend more time in a place. Yet after almost a week, Ashton felt as quaint in storybook as it did on day one, which got me interested. What does the crime rate look like here? The latest census puts Ashland's population at 21,607 residents, Yet during the Shakespeare Festival, the town sees 350,000 plus people. A small town with a Hallmark movie charm, a low crime rate, yet surprisingly, a few cold cases. The first I want to talk about takes us back to 2011 and the horrific murder of David Michael Grubbs. David Michael Grubbs was 23 years old in 2011. Standing at nearly 6 foot 4, He was often referred to as a gentle giant. 
He worked at the edge of downtown at a neat store called Shopping Cart. In research for this episode, I found numerous pictures of David smiling at work. He truly had a beautiful smile that spoke about often in interviews. On the evening of November 19th, 2011, David left an hour early from work. I wasn't able to find out why, but I also want to note that it might not be an unusual occurrence or any cause of alarm. Just something that I noted in one article and I wanted to make sure that I mentioned here. David walked to and from work. His apartment was just a mile and a half from shopping cart, and as I previously stated, the city feels very walkable. That evening, it was about 50 degrees out. The route that David took put him along what is called the Central Ashland Bike Path. He was less than a mile from his apartment when he was discovered that night. The bike path is known to be a busy space. It's flanked by residential housing, privately owned dorms, university housing, and varied businesses. A lot of college students use it to traverse through town. Families ride their bikes and retirees walk their dogs. In other words, it's populated for the most part. Yet on this night, the University of Oregon had a big football game, and a lot of people were inside watching it. The area David was located at was just behind the Hunter Park tennis courts. The area of the bike path was pretty dark. No artificial lights illuminated that area but the tennis court. Typically lit up, yet on this day, Saturday, the court was closed, so the area, while normally well-traveled, was pitch dark by the time investigators arrived on the scene. David initially appeared as if he had passed out. A passerby thankfully stopped, located David in what investigators believe was just a half hour after his death. When the call came in, it was initially a medical call. Assuming the young man passed out or perhaps had a medical emergency, yet it became quickly apparent that this was more. EMTs on scene working in the dark informed investigators that it appeared to be a gunshot, yet right away responding officers knew otherwise. And three days later, on November 22nd, when the autopsy report would finally be released, they would know for certain. The autopsy revealed David was struck about the head and neck with a medium or long sharp-edged blade. In other words, a sword, a machete, or a large knife. Something measuring approximately one foot in length. David was nearly decapitated in the attack and showed no defense wounds, implying that he was ambushed. David would have turned 24 years old on November 23rd, just four days after his attack. Someone either lay in wait as David approached this desolate Swatcher Trail, or they were opportunistic. After all, David had left work early, throwing out any chance of following his patterns, unless someone followed him from work. There is also the theory that he could have startled someone. Perhaps he walked up to a crime in progress, a drug deal, an assault... Or maybe he startled someone and he appeared far more threatening because of his size and it being dark. Yet I personally have a hard time believing these theories when David again showed no signs of defending himself. Mapping the route David took, he was roughly 20 minutes into his walk when he was attacked. His wallet and the cash inside were found on his person, so robbery has been ruled out. At the time of David's murder, there was a county work shed or utility type buildings there and no lighting. Since then, the county removed sections of the shed to help provide a line of sight down the path. A light pole and a memorial bench have also been erected in David's memory, just beyond the site of attack. As of the airing of this podcast, 2023, no suspects have been officially named in this case. 
Police interviewed a person of interest, Christian Delarantes, who was convicted of murdering and dismembering his roommate in 2012. So far, he has not spoken about grub slaying. This case has been, from what my research can tell, extensively worked. Law enforcement has gone door to door questioning residents, executing numerous search warrants, brought in professionals specializing in weapon patterns, and has seemingly exhausted all leads. They have considered hundreds of tips and interviewed nearly 2,000 people, have analyzed hundreds of hours of surveillance footage collected from businesses around Ashland, and still no closure. Interesting fact. David, along with anyone traversing this bike path, walked by a small cemetery where another cold case victim is buried, Troy Dean Carney. He was found with a gunshot wound to the head on a bike path area as well. I plan to cover his case at a later time, but feel it's important to also note that his case has remained open since his murder on September 4th, 2008. Also, a few side notes from this case. The bike path isn't exactly known by visitors. We spent a week there walking in all directions. I'm talking miles, and I didn't know of the bike path. I also explored the Travel Ashland, Oregon website, and there's no mention of it there either. I'm not saying a more observant visitor couldn't find it, but it's also not readily available information. That's where I planned to end episode 5. I recorded it, I enhanced it, I edited it down, and I replayed it. Yet something felt off. We weren't heading to Ashland, but we were planning to be just outside of it. But something pulled me back, and so we went. The drive on any Oregon back road is stunning, and provides a beauty unmatched anywhere else in North America. It was a Saturday as we pulled through, and it was interesting how much meandering you had to do to get to the trail where David was discovered. This wasn't a straight-off-the-road kind of location. You wound through a neighborhood behind a school, tennis courts, and then into a small parking lot. What struck me was how busy it was. Again, it was Saturday. I realized upon recording this episode that it was also Saturday when David was attacked. The tennis courts were bustling, and parents sat along the baseball fields watching their children play. The parking lot was full. Right against David's memorial, a group of kids practiced their catching and pitching. I found my mom heart being anxious that they were going to intrude on David's memorial or harm his sacred space somehow. I was nervous approaching. I feel sheepish when I feel as if I'm not helping enough. I want to save the world and bring closure to those in pain and being able to only use my words to get his story out leaves me feeling inadequate to even be here. I wish so hard that I could have been there on that scene that night. Not that I can do anything more than any other investigator, but at least to lend another set of eyes. I approached as if I would any other scene, wide at first, taking in everything. So many people were on that trail living their lives and running and biking and walking by where David took his last breath. It's sobering to see how the world just keeps moving when ours simply stops. As we took a moment of silence for David, I noted a figure way down the trail walking towards us with a cloak and a traveling hat. I noted how it would be easy for someone to conceal a long-bladed weapon very casually in such a tire. This notation made me edgy as they came closer. It was an older woman, traveling through town to see the symphony. She stopped to ask if David were a friend and inquired about his memorial. Again, I felt inadequate to even speak about him since I brought nothing in the way of solution to his case. I stumbled with my social anxiety, yet I got his story out there. Hoping somewhere in her heart it rings and she carries his memory forward on her own journey. We talked briefly about travel and bonded in passing. I wondered if that's how David was and if it was his doing. 
gentle and peaceful and welcoming of all. We ended our chat and I wandered in the direction that David had come from that evening before he got to that point. Between those utility buildings, it was clear someone stayed there for a while. The usual trash, toilet paper, and other paraphernalia lay on the ground. Evident that Ashlyn, just as the rest of Oregon, has an unsheltered population out there. Ashlyn appears to handle it much differently than the rest of Oregon, at least from what I've seen. We stood under the giant tree that loomed over the area, even that night, and I wondered aloud, working through my brain as I normally would, trying to find the solutions. Eventually, a gentleman took up residence on a bench nearest us, just beyond where we had stood, and the shift made me uncomfortable. We were just beyond the crowds of people, and the unsettling energy of this space's history had my nerves on edge. We made it back to our vehicle, and we left. This episode is not David's story. This is simply how his life ended. David, like every cold case victim, is far more than the story we come to know them by. I encourage you to get to know David. Explore the Facebook page in his honor. Read the forum about how wonderful he was, and truly share his memory. Keep David's spirit alive and his name in our conversations so we can eventually flush out the person responsible for such a heinous murder. I look forward to your input on this case and what you believe happened that evening. I also want to hold space for David's mother, Sherry Grubbs. I hope that for her, we can see this case closed so she can rest knowing that justice has been served. If you have any information or theories you believe that would help this case, you can submit those anonymously through the Ashland Police Department's tip line at area code 541-552-2333. At the time of this airing, a $22,000 reward will be given for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the murderer. And that's all for today's episode. Don't forget to explore my Instagram at milesofmurder, where I will post case photos from today's episode, as well as trip shots. Please feel free to use that space to comment on today's case and provide feedback, or if you prefer, you can also email me at milesofmurder at gmail.com. Until next time, be safe.